Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we're nearing the time of Christmas, and that brings a question. Why was the baby named Jesus? Why didn't Mary and Joseph name him Aaron or, or Peter or, or Micah or, or Isaac or Timothy? These are all good, strong names. So why did they choose Jesus? Well, actually, Mary and Joseph didn't choose the name Jesus, did they? An angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said that the child Mary would give birth to must be named Jesus. Why? Well, he gives the reason as well. He says, because he will save his people from their sins. Through the angel, it was God who commanded Mary and Joseph to name the baby Jesus. And Jesus is a variation of the name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. God commanded that this baby be named Jesus because this baby was the Lord himself. And as the angel says, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus saves his, his people from their sins his covenant people. The message from the angel is that Jesus saves us from our sins, which means that as one of God's covenant children, by faith, the theme for this sermon may be your confession. I believe that Jesus saves me from all my sins. I believe that Jesus saves me from all my sins, and we will see two separate things. First, we'll see that Jesus is a complete Savior, and secondly, we'll see that Jesus is the only Savior. So first of all, Jesus is a complete Savior. Answer 29 of the Heidelberg Catechism, it gives two reasons why the Son of God is called Jesus, that is, Savior. The first reason is that Jesus saves us from all our sins. All our sins. In other words, Jesus is a complete Savior. There's no sin that Jesus does not take care of. It's, it's easy to look at our lives, isn't it, with, with regret over the sins we've committed. We might be upset, children, might we not be, be upset by, by that lie that we told our parents? Or maybe we, we struggle with lingering shame over the sins of our youth, sins of, of drunkenness or, or sexual immorality, sins of, of swearing and other foul language. But the gospel message is that no matter how big a sin you have committed, Jesus' sacrifice is enough to pay for all the punishment that you deserve. And we can see this if we turn again to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 verses 11 through 14. We see here that Jesus' sacrifice is enough to cover all our sin. Verse 11 of Hebrews 10, it says that every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. This shows us, brothers and sisters, where we would be if we relied on mere human effort to save us. Because no matter how many sacrifices God's people made, 
these sacrifices could never remove sin. The priest's job was never finished. In the same way, we confess in Lord's Day 5, we, we ask if, if we could make the payment for our sins ourselves. And the answer is, certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. But in contrast to the standing priests of the Old Testament, Hebrews 10 verse 12 says that when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what happened? He sat down at the right hand of God. And verse 14, it explains why Jesus could sit down. It's because his atoning work, his atoning work for sin is completed. Verse 14, it says that by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In the temple, there was, there was a table. There was a lamp. There was an altar of incense. And there was the ark. But there was no chair. Because a seated priest means that his work is finished. The sacrifice is enough. So because Jesus is seated in heaven, this means that his sacrifice is finished. It is accepted by God. It is enough to pay for all the sins of God's people. And that includes your sins. Congregation, do you, do you ever doubt whether Jesus' sacrifice is enough to pay for your sins? Well, consider this. You are part of God's people. And the angel said that, that Jesus saves his people from their sins. No, no matter how terrible our sins might be. So by, by sitting down in heaven, Jesus is declaring that his sacrifice is abundantly sufficient to pay for all our sins. And think about, think about where Jesus is seated. The end, the end of verse 12, it says that Jesus sat down, where? At the right hand of God. The right hand is, is the most honorable position. Think of the two brothers, James and John, who wanted to sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand. The most honorable and the second most honorable position. It was after Jesus died after he made his sacrifice to pay for our sins, that Jesus was exalted to God's right hand. Jesus' honorable position, it means that God has accepted his sacrifice. It is enough to pay for all the sins of God's people. If you struggle with doubt about whether your sins can be forgiven, then remember, remember that your high priest is no longer standing he is sitting in heaven, meaning that the sacrifice is completed. And he is sitting at God's right hand, meaning that the sacrifice is accepted by God. And just to, to drive home the finality of Christ's once-for-all sacrifice, let's look a bit closer at verse 14. Verse 14, it says that by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
We could even translate this verse as, by a single offering, he has made holy for all time those who are still being made holy. Now, first of all, it says that, that Jesus has, been, has perfected. We could even translate this as he has brought to the goal. This means that Jesus' past sacrifice has, has present significance for us right now in the present. He has already brought us to the goal of perfection. Christ's sacrifice, it means that we already now possess the goal of everlasting life even though we may still stumble and fall, even though we are still being sanctified, perfection and eternal life are already ours. And brothers and sisters, they are ours forever, without any lapses. Verse 14, it says that Jesus has perfected for all time these words, they, they speak about the future, our, our perfection, it lasts forever. But for all time, these words also emphasize that, that our perfection is, is without interruption. As believers, we are in a continuous state of perfection, continuously righteous before God and possessing eternal life, even as we still daily struggle with our sins. We might sometimes feel, we might sometimes feel like we, we go through stages. We're forgiven by Christ and, and we're holy, but, but then we sin and we're unholy. Then, then we repent and, and we're forgiven and, and we're holy again, and, and so on. Our sins cause us to struggle with these, these feelings of dirtiness as, as we have lost our state of righteous perfection before God. But these words in, our te- in verse 14, he has perfected for all time. These words mean that despite what we may feel, there are no lapses in our perfection, our, our righteousness before God. Jesus' perfect sacrifices, sacrifice ensures that we are made perfect for all time, even as we are still being made holy. Up to now, we, we've, we've seen that as our high priest, Jesus has offered a complete and a perfect sacrifice that covers over all of our sins, even, even our future sins. Now, now that's what, what Jesus has done in the past. But if you look closely at answer 29, it doesn't say that Jesus has saved us from all our sins. No, it says that he saves us from all our sins. Present tense. Meaning, right now, Jesus is actively saving us from our sins. When we read in in Hebrews 10 that that Jesus, that he sat down at God's right hand, we, we might have thought that Jesus had retired from being our high priest. After all, the, the once for all sacrifice was finished. But Priests did a lot more than, than just offering sacrifices. Maybe the, the children have, have read through the story recently in, in Luke 1 about Zechariah the priest. What, what was Zechariah doing, children, when, when, he, when the angel Gabriel appeared to him in the temple? He, wa- he wasn't offering a sacrifice, was he? No, he was offering incense 
and, and he was praying on behalf of God's people. And that is what Jesus is doing now. Hebrews 7, it, it says that, that Jesus holds his, his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Right now, Jesus is acting as our high priest. He is praying for us. Verse 25 of chapter 7, it says that Jesus always lives to make intercession for his people. Think about that. Jesus always lives. For, for, for what purpose? He lives to make intercession for his people. Christ lives for us. What an incredible truth, brothers and sisters. Doesn't, doesn't it just, just show our Savior's deep heart? Right now, Jesus is living to, to watch over us, to protect us, to intercede in heaven for us. He is interceding for us. He prays that we might, that we might stand right now, that we might stand firm against temptation. He prays for us even as we fall and give in to temptation. He prays that God would continue to accept his perfect sacrifice. He prays that, that our Father might forgive us even as we are sinning. Brothers and sisters, that is our Savior's incredible love for us. And so, so we can be confident of what verse 25 says, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Jesus saves us completely, not just in the past, but, but also now in the present. We have an infinite and an almighty high priest whose sacrifice God has accepted a high priest who, whom God has exalted to his right hand in heaven. And there, our great high priest, he intercedes for us continually. His priestly ministry for us is, is never-ending. And therefore, the salvation that Jesus secures for us is absolutely sure. What confidence, brothers and sisters, what confidence we may have in our Savior Jesus, our great high priest. Our Savior is great enough to save us from all our sins, no matter how terrible they may be, no matter how ashamed our sins may make us feel. In the words of Romans 8, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is then the one who condemns? Who, brothers and sisters? Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You shall call his name Jesus, the angel said, because he will save his people from their sins. You are God's people. The almighty Savior who continues to intercede before God, by faith he is your Savior. 
There is no one to condemn you any longer. There is no one to bring any charge against you. Jesus is interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. And no one can separate you from his love. Now sometimes, sometimes it can be difficult to believe that, that Jesus is a complete Savior. Sometimes, sometimes it can be difficult to believe that, that nothing more is needed for our salvation, for us to go to heaven. We come now to our second point, that Jesus is, is also the only Savior. Our struggle to, to believe completely that, that Jesus is all that we need for our salvation, it's reflected in question 30. Question 30 asks, do, do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves, or, or anywhere else, do they also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? Now, brothers and sisters, this was written during the Reformation in response to Rome's practice of seeking help from Mary, from the saints, and, and also from their own good works in order to, to, to help secure their salvation. And the Roman church is, is not the only group of people that has done this throughout history. The Galatians, the Galatian Christians are, are another example of, of a group who, who wanted extra help. The Galatians had been brought into a right relationship with God by, by believing in Jesus, but, but they had a question. How were they going to remain saved? What was, what was going to keep them in a right relationship with God? So the Galatians, they, they tried to secure their salvation by doing good works, rather than relying on the ongoing high priestly ministry of Christ, as we heard in, in our first point. They relied on their good works. That's why Paul asked them, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And brothers and sisters, this is, this is natural for us. We have a natural tendency to think that we must somehow contribute something to our eternal well-being. It's so easy for us to think that, that Jesus has brought us into, into a right relationship with God, but, but now it's up to us to try to, remain, to, to live holy lives. It's, it's up for us to remain in a right relationship with God. Paul calls this teaching a distortion of the gospel. Because there is only one way of salvation. There's no Jesus plus. It's either only Jesus or no Jesus. The congregation, this is of absolute importance. Paul said to the Galatians, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. He said, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. In other words, Paul is saying, if, if someone is preaching that you need Jesus plus somebody or something else to go to heaven, that person is on the road to hell. In the words of our catechism, it says that salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else, 
To look anywhere else is a denial of Jesus. We see this also in John 14. Jesus has just told his disciples that that he is about to return to his Father in heaven. And and Thomas wants to know the the way to where Jesus is going. Thomas wants to know the way to heaven. And Jesus gives the answer in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He's not a way. He is the way. Jesus will not share the honor of being your Savior with anyone else. There's no Jesus plus Buddha. There's no Jesus and Allah. No Jesus plus nature worship. No Jesus plus good works. There is no Jesus plus. You have Jesus as your only Savior or or you don't have Jesus. Those are the only two choices. And as Jesus himself makes clear, he alone is the way to the Father. It is through Christ alone that we may enjoy eternal life. It, is, that, is that the television reporter I hear? That's, that's so bigoted. How can you be so narrow-minded? How can you claim to have the only way to salvation? There's, there's different truths, different ways to heaven for different people. Stop being so exclusive. Brothers and sisters, are you prepared to commit the number one sin in our society, the sin of exclusivity? Even if your family, your friends, and your co-workers disagree vehemently with you. If anyone comes with a different message, a message that Jesus is one Savior among many, or that Jesus could use some extra help saving us, are you prepared to say with Paul, let him be accursed? We need to remember when our confession was written, how how dangerous it was to make this confession during the Great Reformation. The Great Reformation was a time when the stakes burned, when blood flowed freely. And yet in threat to their lives, many true Christians stood against the false teaching of the Roman church. They insisted even unto death, Jesus only. The saints can't help you. Mary can't help you. Your so-called good works and penance can't help you either. Only Jesus saves. Brothers and sisters, we must be prepared to stand for and die on this confession. Paul said that to teach anything else leads to condemnation. And when the charges of narrow-mindedness come, how, how do we respond? Well, we didn't come up with this, did we? Jesus did. And doesn't Jesus, who, who knows the Father perfectly, doesn't Jesus have the right to tell us how we may come to the Father? Wouldn't us contradicting Jesus be dishonoring to him? 
And more than that, and, and we have to reflect on this carefully, brothers and sisters, if we teach that there is another way to be saved, do we not do an incredible dishonor to our Savior's sacrifice on the cross? One writer pictured this scenario. He said, imagine for a moment that you are standing before the judgment seat of God and, and the Father asks, how do you expect to come into my heavenly presence? And you reply, well, I found my own way here. And the Father responds, but my own son said that, the, that he was the only way and that no one can come to me except through him. You reply, I knew he said that, but... His words were too exclusive for my taste, so I found my own way here. Then the Father will say, I sent my Son to be sacrificed on the cross. I laid the sins of the world on Him. I poured out the righteous wrath of heaven upon my Son. I heard Him cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think I would have done that? If there was another way. My son prayed, Father, if it is possible, if there is another way to bring them into heaven without the cross, please let this cup be taken from me. But I said to him, my son, there is no other way. Their only hope is if you drink this cup, if you bear their judgment against their sin. There is no other way. The Father will then ask you, do you not think that, that if there had been another way, I, I certainly would have found it? Why? Why have you despised my son in this manner? You say, but, but I have arrived here by another way. And then the Father will speak those terrible words. Yes, you have arrived at the judgment seat of God. But you are on the way that leads to damnation. Beloved, we need to take seriously what Jesus says, both for our sake and for the sake of the lost world. There is no other way. To claim anything else is to scorn Jesus. To claim that there is another way despises his sacrifice. And congregation, nothing more is needed. Jesus has shed his blood on the cross for our sins. His sacrifice is abundantly sufficient to pardon all of our sins. So sufficient that Jesus has sat down at God's right hand. His sacrifice has perfected us for all time. There is not a single moment when we could lose the eternal life that Jesus has secured for us. Even now, our Savior intercedes for us before God's throne, moment by moment. There is no one who can condemn us now. No one who can separate us from the love of Christ. Jesus is a perfect, he is the complete Savior. Why then? Why then would we search for anything or for anyone else? Why would we do our Lord, our Lord who loves us, why would we do such a dishonor to him by calling him half a savior? Jesus has accomplished 
everything that we need for our complete salvation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. May we say together, in Christ alone, our hope is found. Amen. Let us now praise our God by singing the words of hymn 39, all five stanzas.